Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, and Happy New Year. Congratulations on escaping from 2020. Okay, so I got thoughts. Because everybody's talking about 2020's behind us. It's going to be so much better. I have this bright, fabulous outlook. They seem said to the same thing at the start of 2020. Everyone was so happy to get out of the 2010s. And how did, where did that get us? No, that's not where I was going, but oh. thanks. Um, no, <clears throat> I think people forget that we had a very good and very joyful January and February of 2020, which meant that 2020 only really sucked for 10 months. 2021 has the potential to suck all 12. Wow. I mean, I was me just wrong. I was just going with congratulations for making it out of 2020 and leaving it at that. <laughs> you apparently had to yeah, depress us all. Make it even worse. Have you seen the meme that has 2020 with the zeros as toilet paper and then 2021 is an empty roll for the one? Have you seen that one? No, I hadn't seen that one yet. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I, I, I'm telling you, 2024. 2024 is going to be our year. Is it? Yes. <laughs> okay. See, even the studio audience agrees with me. The, the studio audience needs to settle in their spot in the bleachers <laughs> <clears throat> we don't have cheap seats in the studio yeah so um there was a little bit of news over the last couple of weeks amazingly enough i mean there there was a ton of hey look it's carlos hanging out with ferrari folks hey look it's the first ever picture of daniel ricardo in mclaren here there was that kind of stuff which Oh, look, everybody treated clothing. <clears throat> Which, woo. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to have drivers sitting on tires. So We are. Hopefully very soon. Actually, the, the one bit of news that everybody got excited about for about 30 seconds, because really it was only it was worth about 30 seconds, is on New Year's Day, officially, was the start and the of the rebrand well no it wasn't really the start of the rebrand it was the rebranding of the racing point team to aston martin formula one team i know i saw the colors come out and yeah they changed their their twitter handle and everything yeah that there you go that was the news there okay so Probably a short show, but you know, there there is talk that um, as part of this rebranding, um, the BWT sponsorship, the one that brought the pink cars to Force India and Racing Point, that the BWT sponsorship is going away. That makes me sad. I really like having the pink cars on the grid. Um, in. Re- Placement will be, the theory is, I want to say it's cogent technologies, convergent technologies, um, that their branding will appear on the car, is what the theory is. We don't have a confirmation on it as of yet. There's also rumors flying around that BWT may be moving over to Haas. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that in a bit. 
first off, a bit of news. You know, where we left off in our last show before Christmas, um, we got news on Christmas Eve that Sir Frank Williams has been discharged from the hospital to continue his recovery at home. Excellent. That is excellent news. And that's all we can tell you. Well, that's fine. Just When we had this conversation before, <clears throat> you asked for some bare bones basic updates. Yeah. That is exactly what you got. So do not get all upset that you don't have details. We he went are... into the hospital. He is now out of the hospital. He is recovering at home. And, and we know nothing further. Exactly. So... Also recovering is Roman Grosjean. Yes. Uh, Roman has uh, posted that his hands are getting better one month on from his crash in Bahrain. Um, and to some extent, not real, you know, racing and, and that kind of stuff, um, he is behind the wheel of a sim racer. Okay. And uh, he actually did some streaming, I guess, on Twitch of him driving the sim racing car. We don't know how he did or what his lap time was because I refuse to go to Twitch because it's it's bad. <laughs> I don't find Twitch to be enjoyable. Okay. But he did stream uh, himself playing a sim racing game of some sort. Well, <clears throat> I, I hope that means that he's getting good use back out of his hands. I'm sure that they are still hurting quite a bit um it it sounds like it it's it sounds like he has been to the gym as well um and he's even played a little bit of tennis oh wow now we don't know how much a little bit of tennis is but he's played some tennis so definitely he he's uh regained a good amount of functionality in his hand he does say that the biggest problem is his left thumb uh, he can't bend his thumb more than a, a small amount Mm. Um, but other than that, he does have more um, functionality in his hands in general. Well, I'm sure that getting the marshmallows <clears throat> off of his hands has definitely improved his uh, yes. mobility. In other news, Lewis Hamilton, and, and we, we, we kind of expected this, but it was officially announced in the 2021 New Year's Honors list that Lewis Hamilton has received a knighthood. Well, that's because he's no longer Lewis Hamilton. He is Sir Lewis. It is. Um, this uh, honor comes 12 years after he received an MBE that's member of the British Empire or master of the British Empire. Mm. I don't know off the top of my head, but not member. Member would be like... Well, he, he got his... Resident. He got his MBE... 12 years ago for services to motor racing at the end of 2008, which was the season he won his first world championship title. Um, he's the third F1 world champion to receive a knighthood, following Jack Brabham in 1978, Jackie Stewart in 2001, and Sterling Moss won, uh, was awarded a, a knighthood in 2000. But he's not a world champion. Right. And and that's what caught me up because that's not how I, I... He's the third world champion is in number three. Not that there were three before him. So I read it right and I was correct. But it caused me to pause for a second because I'm like, wait a minute. So Sterling didn't win. But no, yeah. it, I, I read it right. It's good. 
So there are four other British race drivers that have been knighted. Um, Actually, you've also got the pre-war racers and land speed record holders Henry Seagrave in 1929 and Malcolm Campbell in 1931. Now, outside of uh, drivers, uh, Frank Williams and Patrick Head, founders of the Williams team, uh, were both knight- knighted, um, Frank Williams in 1999 and Patrick Head in 2015. Um, Lewis got his knighthood at the age of 35, but he is not the youngest sportsman to be recognized in the modern era. So Andy Murray was 29 when he was named in the 2017 New Year's Honors list. Um, that was following his second Wimbledon Tennis Championship victory. Bradley Wiggins, who's a cyclist, and Chris Hoy were both 32. Ellen MacArthur, who's a sailor, was 28 when she was made a dame in 2005. Okay. So, little statistic. You, you got nothing there? I got nothing. You were all excited about it when it was announced. I was like, yeah, I kind of I knew this was coming. <laughs> Even better was that you were all excited about it two days after it was announced but well that's when it came up in the in the twitter stream that he was knighted i mean having sir lewis i think that's awesome i really really hope that bono refers to him as sir lewis on the radio now i think that'd be awesome i i think it'll happen every once in a while i just think it would be fun um but yeah i mean keep in mind if you think about the world champions that have the world champions that have gotten their knighthood, all of them have been knighted by Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's what happens when you are the longest reigning monarch oh, in the world. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Well, that's because I think she was like 12 <clears throat> when she took the throne, and she was not, I know that, but no. She was very young. Yes. Okay, so. <laughs> you don't even know how to introduce this. I, I, I don't, because the, the reality is, this is, because we are in the slow time of the year. This isn't even COVID times. This is just slow th- times. Th- this is just general slow times. You know, on, on one hand, Autosport was fantastic, and they got an, an interview, a fairly extensive interview with Helmut Marko. Great. But because it's the slow time of the year and they needed to generate column inches and, and the such, they managed to turn that interview into like five separate articles. <laughs> All referring back to the same stinking interview. So I, I was a little frustrated about this. and, and Okay, but... I, well, I'm not even talking about all the articles. But <clears throat> remember that time when Lewis stopped into the studio... I think and you still talk about it? I think we've stretched it into like nine or ten shows. And, and you still talk about it? Well, there was that, and then, you know, Toto stopped by. Oh, oh and, and see, this is like a, a fishing story here. <laughs> that every time we turn around, it's somebody else. Helmut Marco has never come to our studio. He's never been invited. Maybe we should change that. I wonder if he'd show up. Probably not. Well, yeah. I'm not sure I'd invite him anyway. Could we invite Gunther? Okay. I'm good with that. You you reach out to the Haas um, PR folks and let them know. 
next time he's in town. I would love to have Gunther in the show. That would be awesome. Tell I mean, him you'll cook him dinner too. It would be one giant beep, but... Tell him you'll cook him dinner too. It's only because you want a nice dinner. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you could do the, the steak and the ale pie. That, that could be a good attraction. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. How did we get from a five-part interview with Helmut Marco to suddenly me making steak and ale pie? You're the ones that talk, talked about inviting somebody over, and I was trying to come up with ways to entice them. You know, we, we, we could offer up drinks from the bar robot. We could, you know... Make steak and ale pie. Yeah. The, those are our two things. We, we, Perfect. We've shot it at that point. Perfect. <sighs> we we really need to work on your entertaining skills. So back to helmet, Mark. Back to helmet. Okay. Who who has not been invited to come over? <laughs> he no steak and ale pie for you. So of the the three stories that Auto Sport made out of this one interview, I thought it was five. Well, uh, well, I'm only accepting three. Oh, alternate I'm ignore- facts? I'm ignoring the other five because come on. <laughs> alternate facts that there were five. You only, no, you were, only, only acknowledge five. three of them. There, there were five. Only three of them were even worth taking a look at. And one of them, as you'll see, is really a stretch. Um, but the first one was, and, and I actually saw this pop up in a couple of other channels on social media. People were, were asking this question. So... The day after Sergio Perez, or, or actually it was the day that Sergio Perez was announced um, as the new Red Bull driver to, to drive alongside Max Verstappen, um, as part of that announcement, there was a picture that was released and Sergio had it up on his social media feed and a couple other folks had it up on their social media feeds as well of um, Sergio posing for a picture with Helmut Marco and Christian Horner. Mm-hmm. And eagle eye observers who have been there before took a look at this photo and said, wait a minute, this looks like it was taken at the hotel in Abu Dhabi. And this announcement came like two days after Abu Dhabi. What's going on here? Really? That's the big intrigue? That they posed for a photo? Two days before they made an announcement that he was coming to drive for them? Well, it was because there was some insistence that they had not made a decision yet. Mm. That, that was the big push. Well, when folks dug into it a little bit further, not only did they recognize that the curtain came from the hotel in, in Abu Dhabi, um, but Sergio was wearing the same clothes um, that he was wearing on in pictures that were posted Sunday night after the race of him exchanging helmets with Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. Okay. So, yes, Helmet came out and said, well, we, we took the picture. It, it was totally, it was not because we were planning on making an announcement or had made a decision. We saw Sergio and we thought it would be great to take a picture. So we had the picture. Well, you know, you need to have... I bet that they walked around and took pictures with all of the drivers they were considering. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they were standing in the hotel and they all were like... one of them? Come over, take a picture with us in case you get hired. We can use this picture. 
Lewis, Lewis, <laughs> Lewis, Lewis. <laughs> Can we take a selfie? Who, who, by the way, Lewis does not have a contract yet still. No, he's he been does... knighted, but doesn't have a contract. No, but he's really happy to stay at Mercedes. Yeah. But he wants more money. Yeah. But he totally loves what he's doing. Yeah, we don't know what's going on there. Everybody's staying quiet. Speaking of the whole Mercedes connection and all that. So, and, and, and of course, Autosport made this an article. Helmet Marco answering a question that honestly, nobody was asking. <laughs> I don't think that there was a single person anywhere that was asking the question of, gee, why didn't Red Bull consider George Russell as a replacement for Alex Alvin? Nobody was asking this question. But somebody had to have asked the question if Helmet answered it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure what else we'll ask you, Helmet. How about this one? <laughs> I, I gotta fill column inches. You gotta help me out, man. <laughs> so. So wait a minute. Let's just pick this apart for a second because, hello. Before we even get to the answer of how stupid this question was. <laughs> no, because hello, <clears throat> this is a short show anyway. So we <laughs> might as well delve into your psychology. My psychology. Yes, because you're wrong. Um, <coughs> so let me exp- understand. You are ticked off at Autosport because they needed to fill column inches and asked a question and wrote an entire article Based on a question that you believe no one was asking. Okay, actually, I, I'm not full. Just knowing what some of the crap that comes out of Helmet Marco's mouth, just like some of the crap that can come out of Christian Horner's mouth, I'm not even necessarily sure that they were actually asked the question. They might have been asked something random of, well, who else were you actually considering besides Sergio Perez? And this diarrhea just kind of spewed out because they do like to just spit random stuff out that has nothing to do with what they're asked. Okay, so let's go back to my actual point. Okay. Because I have one somewhere. You are upset and taking autosport to task for filling column inches with a nonsense question with a nonsense answer and yet you are filling precious podcast minutes not only discussing the non-answer with the the non-question and the answer that wasted column inches but you also are adding to your diatribe about how upset you are about the column inches wasted one I'm not upset. Oh, I'm really? mocking. Oh, and that's there's that's a, there's a difference. <laughs> that's what this is. And and you know, this time of year, we have to be able to expand on the mocking opportunities whenever we get them. So to be clear, I'm not upset by this. I'm mocking this. You're mocking this by doing exactly what you are mocking. And, if you are actually mocking, but it does come across as and upset. Number two. I reject your reality and substitute my own. You are not Adam <laughs> Savage. <laughs> we actually have applause in our non-studio <laughs> audience. What in the world? 2021 has just 
weird. So anyway, what Helmet had to say to the to the question that nobody was actually asking uh-huh. was no. He says, okay, wait a minute. We did not just spend <laughs> ten minutes discussing a question nobody asked, and that you were quote mocking, and the answer was no. Please tell me you value my time more than this. Well, there there was more to it than that, but you cut me off, so. <laughs> We're done with this. Um, let's go on to the next story. He, he said, no. He has a 10-year contract with Toto Wolf, which I don't think that's really true, but okay. He says he has a 10-year contract with Toto Wolf. He is a Mercedes junior. We were looking for an interim solution for one year. Perez is the much better option there. And... In that respect, actually, I, I think, you know, this whole idea of if you're just looking for a one-year solution, yeah, you, you you don't go through the expense that you're going to need. I, I, I don't know about this whole 10-year contract thing, but if nothing else, he is under, he's got one year left in his existing contract with Williams. If you wanted to take him for a year, the it wouldn't be worth it to, to pay off Williams to break that contract to bring him over. Well, okay, but the 10-year <clears throat> deal with Toto is likely his management. management. And that's, that's my thought, man- too. Management deal. And Red Bull wants to own their drivers. Their deal is not just that <clears throat> you're part of their program. Their deal includes the management. Um, No. Because that was not what the deal was with Daniel Ricardo, And as you'll recall, and I don't remember his name, we talked about this, um, I think it was going into, or actually probably around this time last year, Daniel Ricardo had his buddy managing him, and as part of the split with Red Bull and him moving to Renault, there was some sort of split that happened between the two of them, and Daniel settled with him out of court over it. Well, yeah, I remember that. But I. But think that was that, a management deal, too. But I think that Red Bull <clears throat> prefers to well, manage yeah, their they, own. They would, they would much rather keep that in-house. That way, when they decide to go and cut somebody loose, they, they can fully cut them loose. Correct. And, you know, there, there's less negotiating power from the driver that was just cut free. Right. So, yeah, I don't think that they want to have to deal with... Well, or they sure just don't want to have to deal with Toto across the negotiating table. I mean, well, I wouldn't want to there, face him across the, to- the negotiating table. And and there, there's that, too. Um, but he also turned... Helmet also turned around and, and thought that it was necessary to, to talk down a bit about George. He, he says that, well... George is an intelligent and fast young man. His Mercedes effort was great, but at the same time, it was marked by such uncertainty from Botus that it wasn't really a valid comparison. Botus put together such crap from the lap, from the first lap on Friday that he, he was way below his normal level. Okay. Hey. Either way, yeah. So, the the other... Comments that we will acknowledge from Helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, welcome to the We Acknowledge Helmet's Comments podcast, a sub-podcast of The Bloke and the Bird. And and I'm not necessarily sure. Actually, you know, what I have the impression of here is what they've actually done. What Helmet said they've actually done is, you know, 
it was the question of what are you going to do with Alex? How, how, how are you going to handle it? He's like, oh, we're going to do a lot of simulator time and we've got the 2022 tires that need to get tested and all of that stuff. But the other thing that he said was that they would be willing to lend him out to other teams. And I could just see at this point, Alex Albin in his full racing kit, standing outside the factory in Milton Kynes, holding a sign that says driver for rent. <laughs> no. Okay. You know, wait. We'll drive for food? I mean, no, 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 no. You know that one of my favorite other podcasts out there that I listen to, No Such Thing as a Fish, mm-hmm. which is hosted by the QI Elves, which is a quiz, quiz news-ish show in England. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but with even more obscure facts and not always news, but facts. Yeah. They did a show recently where there is a library in one of the Scandinavian countries, don't quote me, that lends out people. You can borrow them from the library for a certain amount of time, and then you (laughs) take them back to the library and you check them back in. But they lend people. Now, the concept actually makes like really, it, it's funny, but it concept actually makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, you have specific skills, like you are a plumber and you can donate some of your time to the library and people can come and ask you plumbing questions or people that are in business, mm-hmm. they, you donate the time to the library and people can come and ask about resume questions or business questions or things. It, it's a, it's a talking thing. It's not like you physically yeah. take the take the guy <laughs> that was what the show was all kind of written around was the funny of you know the barcode checker on the guy's pants <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i gotta scan you before you can walk out of here <laughs> you know what happens if it, what happens if they get laryngitis do you have to take them back <laughs> so you know s- since again this time of year we, we've got all these times to just wander around aimlessly in our show so, As if we don't do that at the height of the season. Since you mentioned QI and no such thing as fish, and by the way, for those that don't know, QI actually stands for quite interesting, mm-hmm. and and it's this show of just random facts. The host of the show is Sandy Tosvig, who's who was also the host of, uh, One of Great the British Baking Show at um, for the first couple of years when it moved to Channel Four off the BBC. Sandy Tosvig's British accent is fake. That doesn't surprise me. She's Danish. Yeah. However, the way she got it. So apparently she was growing up in New York. (laughs) She grew up in New York? She grew up in New York. And at some point, and this was like while she was in school... At some point, she just decided that she was going to stop going to school because she didn't like this. It was like they were reading like Great Expectations or or The Great Gatsby or something like that, but they were going to read it throughout the entire course of the year as opposed to just read it. And she's like, well, this is stupid. I'm leaving. (laughs) And stopped going to school, which worked great up until the point that her parents went to school for like a parent-teacher conference to go find out how she was doing. And none of the teachers knew who she was. So their response was to pack her up and send her to boarding school in the UK. Just pick her up from New York, shoot her over there. 
And the question was asked, well, how did the, you know, why the UK, how, how did they come to the conclusion of which boarding school to send her to? And she said she was assuming it was the one with the tallest walls. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there she is in this British boarding, all girls boarding school and speaking to folks with an American accent, which meant she was instantly shunned by everyone and nobody would talk to her. And finally it got into her head that, well, if I start speaking like them and start taking on the British accent, I will start to fit in and become a part of this group, which is what happened. That's fascinating. I, th- I thought you'd find it fascinating. It is actually very, very fascinating. I know that it's a, accents are a really big, I mean, accents are a big deal and dialects are a big deal mm-hmm. no matter what country you're in. But in the UK, you think about a small island. It's a big deal because oh, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a class structure too. There is a very, very specific um, boarding school, public school, mm-hmm. highbrow school accent that, you know, the kids that go to Eton, they talk differently. And there's particular words that call out those high-end schools and the kids that go there mm-hmm. versus, you know, going to... PS 195 in Brooklyn. Yeah. So it's interesting that she picked up on that at a young age. I also happen to know my own little personal accent fact. Where you are living when you hit puberty seems to affect your accent more than just about anything else. I could kind of see that. Um, that's when it ferments and I, I think that would be part of it and, and I would even say that up into early 20s well I think that that, that could... that's still formative, formative. Um, and I say that specifically because I know in my early 20s um, when, when I was actually stationed in Massachusetts and spent a lot of time with folks from New Hampshire and Vermont I started to pick up some of their accent. Well, I think that if you live someplace long enough, um, you will assimilate. Over time, you will assimilate. But there's a core accent that you have. Um, You will always be identified as being from the New York, New Jersey area. I'm sorry, honey. No one will ever mistake you for a Bostontonian. Ever. True. Um, But one of the things that catches people off guard with me is that I had spent some of my youth in the deep south and then I spent a large part of my teen years all of my teen years in southeast Florida which is a lot of southern New York so my accent can be very fluid but that was one of the things that I learned about I I used to notice that when we drive down to Tennessee as we got further (laughs) south in Virginia your accent would change well yeah, it's a proximity thing. But again, it's, it's also responding to the people around you. Yeah. You subconsciously want to sound like the people you are talking to. But I do find it very interesting that accents are generally gelled around puberty. Anyway, Alex Allen, who, by the way, also has that... Are we going to discuss... <laughs> well, I, I was actually going to tie into accents because keep in mind, yes, he lives in the UK. Yes, he... he speaks English 
with a bit of an English accent, but he's also Thai. Yes, he is Thai. And so there's some of the Thai that bleeds into his accent as well. So there you go. See? See, I, I, I pulled Almost a segue. Almost um, one. One of the things, though, that they did make clear that they plan on using um, Alex for is as a reserve driver. because and, and not just as a reserve driver for the Red Bull side of the house, but for the Alpha Tori side, too. Their feeling is we've got one reserve driver for four cars. Mm-hmm. So, and he will be present at most, if not all the races, is the plan. So, yeah. I wonder if he's going to have to have one of those, like, little checkout library cards, like, on his race suit. Possibly. Yeah. Who's going to sign him out? Well, what it is, is... Prince Todd got it. (laughs) What it is, is, um, depending on which team you are, is the number of punches you get on the card. Oh, it's a punch card. It's a punch card that he has to have. And it's the number, no, whichever team you're on depends, that's that's going to have an impact on how many punches you get on the card. Mm. Um, one of the, the teams that probably won't get a lot of punches on, on Alex's card is a potential. Or may get more punches to the face. Well, you know, when you think about who we're talking about, actually, that's a distinct possibility. So Haas has um, basically said that they have concluded their internal investigation of Nikita Mazepan and his video that was so questionable. And they've issued a statement. The statement reads, Haas F1 team would like to reaffirm that Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher will form its driver lineup for the 2021 Formula One World Championship. As part of the team's previous statement regarding the actions of Nikita Mazepin on 9 December, this matter has now been dealt with internally and no further comment shall be made. Okay. Well, they said nothing to see here. And with that, Haas continues to move closer to becoming the most reviled team on the grid. They really are working on being the snidely of the grid. Yeah. Um, One of the things that that was pointed out was the movement that has been made driver. and, And I'm fairly certain that this is driver related. This is not related to behavior of Nikita or anything else. Um, But Jack and Jones has announced that their sponsorship agreement has ended. Not that they've terminated it, that it's ended. Um, Apparently Peak, which is uh, the antifreeze, um, they will no longer be appearing on the car. And there is one other automotive fluid company that has their stuff on the car. They've also announced that they're, they're leaving. But it sounds like there's a total of four sponsors um, that will... And and I didn't realize they even had four sponsors on the car. Um, (laughs) But four sponsors will be leaving the car for 2021 um, with Uracali taking over. Oh, wow. Um, Again, we're hearing rumors that BWT is coming to Haas. um, But I have not seen a firm announcement of that. Okay. Now, one of the things I do want to make clear is that at the very least, Jack and Jones, which is a clothing company, mm-hmm. um, my understanding is they're actually, they were not really a Haas sponsor. 
they were Kevin Magnuson sponsored. Right. So with the departure of Kevin from the team, it makes sense that Haas would or that that Jack and Jones would be leaving. And I believe that Peak or one of the other ones. I, I think these are all sponsors that are related to the drivers who have left. And that could make sense. I mm-hmm. mean, it could, could not. It could be more of general sponsorship shifts due to drivers than a reaction to massive hand mm-hmm. that we know of just yet. But time, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, and I think it was it was Will Buxton who had posted something. Um, he was talking to the 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 F two team that. Carlin or, or that that Mazepin had driven for, and why they had signed him at the time, and 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 he he was reposting comments from from an interview he had done with the team a year or two ago, and it basically they had said that the the entire reason why they had signed him and why they kept him on is because he is a driver who will push the limits of what he can get away with, as much and as often as he can. Oh, that could be a menace on the <clears throat> on the track. It could be a menace on the track, and it could also explain the behavior that we've seen of he is pushing the limits of what he can get away with. And honestly, the Haas just turned around and said, your daddy's money will buy you out of anything. Mm -hmm. So he's going to go and do it again. Yeah. Of course he is. So, yeah. I'm, yeah. Most revile team on the grid. They're, They're working really hard on that. Um, Gunther Steiner also says that he is expecting that 2021 will be a difficult season for them. And not because of Nikita Mazepin. Oh. Um, actually, it, it is... A, a lot of it, he says, are, are outside of his control, but but some of it is around the funding. So one of the things that apparently has come to light is throughout the entire course of 2020... Haas didn't roll out a single upgrade on their car. Oh, okay. Nothing. The car that they rolled out at Austria for race number one is the same car that hit the track in Abu Dhabi. Why did they not have any upgrades? Money. They're that strapped? Um, They elected not to spend the money. I mean, even Williams spent the money. They had something come out. The best that I can think of, to be honest with you, is that, and and, well, there's there's two things. One is that the the Ferrari power unit, because they got the same power unit as all the other Ferrari teams and they were all struggling, is that Haas made the decision that they could not overcome the deficiencies of that power unit and decided not to bother to try. Okay. That could be number one. The other thing also is the fact of remember that where possible, Haas buys their parts. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the, the the stuff that they can get directly from Ferrari, so they have no influence over the design, or they go to Delara for their chassis and, and some of these other pieces. It could be since they don't have the organic design team it could be that they decided that they didn't want to invest the money in having somebody do that design work for them wow so they're essentially a full year behind in development 
Possibly. So, so Gunther does say that they're going to be. There are some upgrades coming for this year. He's not specifying what they are, what they look like. Um, I would expect we're going to continue to see that car slide backwards. Mm -hmm. And I think really that's the question at this point um, when we do our our prediction show of who's going to score points, Haas or Williams. Right. Um, And that's one of the things that that Zach Brown has come out publicly and said, you know, look, if Williams is going to have a chance of coming back, these new owners that, that have invested, that have purchased the team, need to realize that they're going to have to spend money. And if they're not willing to open up the checkbook, this was a total waste. Mm-hmm. So that will be the question of who's going to score points next year and score more points next year, Haas or Williams? Sure. Um, the other thing around Haas... And Ferrari is the one who's really been commenting on this. Um, Not so much Haas, but Ferrari is setting up a Haas hub. Best way to describe it, in Marinello. So what exactly is a Haas hub? So what this is going to be, according to Mattia Bonotto, is um, these are folks who are basically are, are, are leaving Ferrari to go work for Haas in Marinello. Okay. Um, Mattia Bonotto specifically says these persons will be in Marinello in a completely separate building to Scuderia Ferrari. They will not have access to the Scuderia Ferrari building. It is separated and they will remain in there. He says that the relationship... They never allowed (laughs) out of the building. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, well, actually, let me read the, the rest of his comments before I read between the lines here. Um... In terms of the relationship between Ferrari and Haas, he says, as far as we are concerned, they are customers. Some of our people will join their team, and I think it's a great opportunity for them. It's a great opportunity because I think that by doing that, it can reinforce their organization and their technical organization. It is something that was necessary for us, and here's the key thing here, because we had to reduce our organization of today to fulfill what are the limitations of the budget cap. But Haas is a fully independent team compared to Ferrari. It is not a junior team, and we are not exchanging information beyond what's possible in the regulation. So reading between the lines, especially what he had to say about the cost cap, Mm -hmm. is that what's actually happened here is that in order to prevent Ferrari from having to outright lay off folks, they're transferring them to Haas, possibly funding some degree of Haas's presence in Marinello so that these folks aren't completely out of a job. Okay, so it's a job-saving move and possibly could give Haas some development skills that they don't Mm -hmm. have. It it, it gives Haas access to personnel that, that they would not have had access to. Um, it allows these folks to continue to work in Formula One without having to uproot, uproot their families or their homes because they get to stay. Because remember, up until oh this base was created, Haas was working out of Kannapolis, North Carolina, and um, oh I just lost it with a B in the UK. Uh, it's the old Marussia base, not Bamford. The old Marisha base in the UK. Yeah. 
So without having to have these folks leave Italy and uproot their families, they can continue to work for Haas. Haas can get that expertise. My question is, will Haas make a decision to then close one of the bases? Mm. Specifically, would they make the decision to close the UK facility? Interesting. Because for a team their size that's struggling to begin with, I mean, I get that there's all the talent in the UK in the Motorsport Valley, and that's why everybody's there. But does it really make sense to maintain that base when they've got now the one in Marinello? Well, it would also go to your tinfoil hat theory that Gene wants out of Formula One and the base that they could look to close would be Canapolis. It could be. The only reason why I don't think it would be is because that Canapolis base is co-located with the uh, Stuart Haas NASCAR team. Right. So there is some economies of scale. There's some knowledge sharing. There's some talent sharing that goes on between those two organizations where the base in the UK is totally isolated from the rest of Haas's motorsports endeavors. No, but what I was thinking is if Gene stepped out of True. Haas and sold Haas, then Canapolis... Uricali Cal- doesn't need Canapolis. Uricali gets the UK facility and the, Italy, the Italian facility. There you go. Okay, that's... I, I see where you're going there. That was that was my addendum okay. to your tinfoil hat theory. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that Ferrari says that Haas is not a junior team, but... There, there's an awful lot of knowledge transfer happening. So, really, if you think about it, if we circle back to a previous story mm-hmm. about BWT going to Haas, and if BWT turns Haas pink as in light red, mm-hmm. they would could totally be a junior Ferrari team because they'd just be baby red. They they could be. Um, the, the other thing is there's already a junior Ferrari team. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you've already got Alfa Romeo, so... Yeah, but you got Kimmy in there and Kimmy's never leaving, so... Well... Anyway, so our last story is unfortunately tires. So, um, actually, before you say that, so and and, and the reason the reason why I, I point this out is because if this works the way it happened in 2012, it could be kind of interesting. So, as a reminder, 2012. Because the team struggled so much to get a hold of the, to, to figure out the tires and to understand the performance characteristics and how they worked, what was it? Eight winners in eight races? Yes. Which w- was record setting. There is the potential that, be, and, and, and that's what the issue is, is the teams are struggling to figure out the performance curves of, of these tires that are coming out in 2021. There could be the potential for the tires having a similar impact to what we saw in 2012, especially seeing that Red Bull might actually be closing the gap a little bit. McLaren might actually be closing the gap a little bit and Ferrari's falling back. 
Mm-hmm. We could see some interesting podiums and some interesting things if the teams are... Now, I think 2012 is truly a worst-case scenario for the tires, but that could be what this means. I don't know if I'd put that as a prediction, but that could be what this means. <laughs> or it could mean that somebody needed to fill column inches in the winter when there's not much going on, and we're going to see Mercedes well, take the lead come Barcelona. There is that possibility. However, you know, you got Toto Wolf and Pirelli and uh, Laurent Mekis over at uh, Renault who are all acknowledging that there is a distinct change being made to the tires this year. So originally the talk was that they were not going to change the tires. They're going to run the same compound again in 2021 that they've run for the last two years. Um, But because of the blowouts that occurred um, this year, not the least of which was in uh, Silverstone. You mean winning a Grand Prix on three, three wheels? Yeah, well, not just that, but what, the top three or four cars in that race having significant tire issues yeah um ferrari is changing the compound of the tires they're supposed to be more robust however they are slightly slower and they have an impact on the handling of the car specifically they have less grip less grip is not good potentially i mean from a driver perspective Mm -hmm. as we saw in turkey Less grip is not necessarily a good thing. And yes, George Russell will tell us that playing stump the chump with the tires is not something that the drivers really appreciate. However, less grip also changes how the drivers drive and how the car handles. And it means they have to learn all over again. And as long as it's consistent through the season, as opposed to all of a sudden we have a race that looks like they're on on ice skates and one it isn't, it could be very interesting. It could be. I I know it's tires and, and Yeah, but it also feels artificial <clears throat> and it feels contrived and so all of those things that make me really hate myself for saying these words out loud. But at the end of the day I want I want the I want to see the drivers adapt to changing conditions. That's why I love a good yeah. rain race. I love a good iffy weather race. You know, is it is it not changing conditions makes the drivers react and out of their comfort zone, and that's excellent racing. Yeah, and the the thing is, and 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 I get your your feeling about it being contrived and and all of that, and and this idea that that we had seen in 2012 and 2013 and 2014 of the high degradation tires to to specifically influence race strategies i could see that in this case though the change in the tire construction is actually to make them more robust it's to prevent random blowouts so in terms of the reason why the tires are going to be built this way i don't have a problem with okay um and i also Given the way the season played out, I don't necessarily have a problem with the wild card race that Turkey was that nobody had any traction. Now, if they turn around, if if Formula One turns around and says, hey, you know what? 
Turkey was so awesome because nobody knew what the heck was going on and there was no traction, all that. So let's go and hose down Paul Ricard to make it slick. <laughs> that I would have a problem with. Yeah. Going back to the sprinklers thing. That I would have an issue with. But this random thing of nobody saw it coming, including Formula One and the FI, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Changeability is good. Eighth world title for Lewis Hamilton. Sir Lewis Hamilton. Eighth world title for Sir Lewis Hamilton. Eighth world title for Lewis Hamilton. So now that nobody has any doubts as to who you're rooting for, (laughs) I think we'll call it a show. I found school really boring. So I remember uh, Mrs. Baxter, who was our uh, English teacher, she said, this year, class, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be reading Catcher in the Rye. This is very exciting. Uh, and she handed out copies of the Catcher in the Rye. And I went home and I read it and came in prepared to talk about it. What I didn't realize, we were going to read it one word at a time all year. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'll come back when they've read it. because. I... <laughs> So boring. Uh, and the last school, my parents went to a, a P- PTA meeting, uh, and which was very odd. They'd never done that before, and they couldn't find a teacher who knew me. <laughs> wow. So the game was up. So I got sent to British boarding school uh, when I was 14. I'd never lived in Britain before. I arrived with a very thick New York accent. So your parents are still in New York? They were still in New York, and they yeah. Flew you they over flew me here. over to go to a school that they didn't even visit. They just picked one. Um, Do you ever think about being a fly on the wall while they were having that conversation about you? I think Did they t- discuss it with you? Yeah, no, they didn't discuss it with me. I think they picked the one with the highest walls. I think I was... <laughs> <laughs> it was a terrible school. Let's uh, just send her over yeah, there. Yes, just over there. Um, so I, I arrived and I remember meeting a matron opened the door and uh, she said, good afternoon. I said, oh, hi, I'm Sandy. What's your name? <laughs> I'm matron. What is that, like your first name, your last name? How's that work there? Um, <laughs> And then at the next so, school. Yeah. <laughs> so that was instant love. And uh, because I had an American accent, the girls did something. They sent me somewhere I'd never even heard of, which is Coventry. And for the first six weeks that I lived in the UK, nobody spoke to me. I mean, nobody. No school, I know. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, and uh, we didn't watch television at school, but one night we were shown a film in the hall, and it was a Brief Encounter. Remember a wonderful film with Celia Johnson and Trevor yeah. Howard? And I sat there and I knew by then I had to change my accent. And so I thought, I'm going to speak like that. And that is why I sound like I'm trapped in a black and white film. But it is... (laughs) (laughs) It's fake. It's fake. It was because I couldn't bear... Uh, for people not yeah. to speak. Is, it, is to your inner monologue, monologue the same voice? Or do you still have an inner monologue that's in a When New I'm York tired, oh, yeah. I speak with an American accent. 